The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to stop their April losing streak. Futures hanging in there as earnings begin to roll out. Another Fed member talking record high prices, making the case for a more aggressive approach. China's president standing by his crushing COVID measures, even as global outrage grows. Some relief for potential home buyers as mortgage rates tick back below 5%. Our conversation with the CEO of Howard Hughes Corporation and what that might mean for the next leg of the red hot housing market. And no relief in the grocery aisle. Your morning RBI on just how much food prices are surging. Renowned chef David Burke is here to talk about how he is navigating higher prices and what it means for his restaurants. It is Thursday, April 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on this busy Friday. And I know it's not Friday, but we're off tomorrow. So today, technically from a business day, is Friday. Why not? Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. Right now, stock futures, they are flat to mixed. Not seeing any kind of trend either way. We're seeing that Dow up a little bit, S&P down a bit. Stocks snapping their three-day losing streak on Wednesday. The Dow and the S&P up 1%. The NASDAQ had a big day, up 2%. Despite the gains, all three indexes are lower by about a half to nearly 1% on this holiday shortened week and still down a couple of percent for the month. And remember, tomorrow is... A market holiday, we and hopefully you are off for Easter and Passover. But it could be a volatile day today. According to Goldman Sachs, over a trillion dollars with a T in options set to expire today. We'll get more on that in moments. Also, several more quarterly reports from big banks are on tap this morning, including numbers out of Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. Also, we're going to check on bonds. The 10-year yield actually down a bit as bonds get bought. We're seeing the yield just under 2.7%. And coming off its pop on Wednesday, oil also down a touch from yesterday, just over $103 per barrel. All right, let's go now around the world and get a check on the early trade in Europe ahead of a highly anticipated rate call by the European Central Bank today. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with your trade and the expectations. Rosanna, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, happy fake Friday. And I think that's a really relevant point, actually, because a lot of analysis out there at the moment that this sort of muted, mixed picture we're seeing in the markets, it's the same here in Europe this morning, is something to do with a bit of end of week positioning just a day earlier. And we are waiting that ECB decision. I'll come back to that. But just giving you a look at the bourses, the FTSE 100 down by around a quarter of a percent in the red here in London. Elsewhere in Europe, a little bit more strength. But as I said, nothing shocking. There's a few corporate stories out there, but nothing really moving the markets. The same thing. 
themes apply about inflation, of course, at the moment. The CAC 40 in Paris, 37, 0.37% high. The SMI, something of an outperformer in Switzerland. Let's give you a look at the sectors. As we head into this session a little bit further, oil and gas down by a half a percent or so. Travel and leisure up above 1.5%. Expecting a very busy weekend here at the airports in Europe this weekend. A lot of schools off, etc. People travelling for Easter. Let's give you a look at the Eurozone banks as well, because we've had all those bank earnings uh, from the US, and it's feeding into potentially a bit of positivity here in Europe. As mentioned, that ECB decision later on today, firmly no policy changes expected, especially in the realm of rate hikes. We were speaking to somebody this morning who said, don't expect one until 25 bips around October. Some saying a bit sooner than that in June. We've had all these other rate hikes around the world, RBNZ, Bank of Canada, etc. The ECB is something of an outlier, Brian, not expected to move much. Well, Rosanna, is part of that because, you know, unlike here, we're facing mildly higher prices. Inflation is a big deal, but your electricity costs are up five to six times what ours are. Is in part the ECB being a little more dovish there because consumers in Europe and the UK are already, I mean, we think inflation's bad here. You guys are really getting crushed by higher power costs. Yeah, I'm confused by that too, Brian. It was a question asked to guests in our show last hour. How the ECB remains so confident on this front, especially given the geographic proximity of the Ukraine war within Europe and those rising energy prices, which have been through the roof here in Europe. And yet the ECB feels confident in not moving, especially with those secondary round inflation figures, which will bake into wages as well. I mean, I'm sort of at a loss here, but they seem firm and steady. We expect to hear a lot about optionality flexibility and graduality. They may also mention recession today as well. Well, we'll we'll, we'll wait the R word. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very Mm -hmm. much. European consumers, by the way, folks facing five times the power costs that we are here in some cases. All right. Now to some of this morning's top stories here, including China's president standing his ground over that country's extreme COVID policies. Silvana Hanau is here now with that and more. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, that's right. So Xi Jinping says his government will stick with a zero tolerance approach when it comes to combating COVID. Speaking late Wednesday, Xi stressed that persistence when it comes to the government's strict protocols would be essential in combating the virus. His comments come amid mounting public anger over ongoing lockdown orders, including millions in the city of Shanghai who have faced mounting shortages of necessities, including food and medical supplies. A top lawyer for the state of California who recently resigned is accusing Governor Gavin Newsom of interfering with a discrimination lawsuit against Activision Blizzard. Newsom fired one of the attorneys at the state's Department of Fair Employment and Housing working on the Activision case. And then another lawyer in the department on the case quit in protest of her colleagues firing. Lawyers representing both the women tell CNBC's Steve Kovac that the one lawyer's firing was because she failed to give the governor advance notice of how the investigation into Activision was going. A spokesperson for Newsom denies the claim, but has not said why Newsom fired her after reappointing her to the position just a few months ago. And another Federal Reserve chief is making the case for more aggressive action by the central bank to tame inflation. Speaking with CNBC yesterday, board member Christopher Waller said getting inflation under control will require raising interest rates at a faster pace than normal, but stressed that the pace of price increases may have peaked.
we might be at the peak and that we'll start seeing some relief on this in the, in the next coming months. But it doesn't relieve us of our job to, you know, remove accommodation and get inflation down. And Brian, Waller said the Fed will likely hike short-term rates by 50 basis points at its meeting in May and possibly follow with, followed up with similar moves in the next several months. Yeah, we'll see about that. Savannah Hanal, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right, speaking of inflation, interest rates, and earnings, they are the headlines today, but also focus on something happening under the hood of the stock market. Today is a huge day for options expiration. In fact, more than a trillion dollars worth of options are expiring today. Goldman Sachs notes that includes roughly about $495 billion in single stock derivatives, and about $980 billion in contracts linked to the S&P 500 that are going to expire today. That could add to the volatility. And it all comes as stocks are suffering so far in April with all the major averages lower. Let's talk about all this and the Fed with Joe Fami, Managing Director at Zor Capital. Joe, good to have you back on. Listen, the Fed, I was being a little snarky. I apologize about the Fed because they can say all they want about what they're going to do later on in the year. If this economy slows down, if inflation starts to cool down, isn't it possible that the Federal Reserve, while everyone's like, they're going to raise rates 100 times, 200 times, 300 times, they could change on a dime, could they not? Of course, I think they could be flexible based on market conditions. But uh, I've basically been saying that I feel that there's limited upside right now until the Fed changes, uh, ends this hawkish tone. For example, I've been uh, bullish since the, I was bullish since the pandemic lows for two main reasons. The technicals were improving and the Fed was providing all of this insane accommodation, not only by keeping interest rates low, uh, but with all their bond buying, they did more treasury purchases in the six weeks following the pandemic than they did in nine years combined between 2009 and 2018. And they continued with that $120 billion a month in, in bond purchases. But then when I appeared on your network in mid-December of last year, I turned cautious for the opposite two reasons, that the technicals were starting to break down and the Fed was taking away all of this accommodation, not only by ending their bond buying, but also by uh, raising rates this year and potentially reducing their balance sheet. So, again, my conclusion is that the market's unlikely yeah. to see sustained upside until this rate hiking cycle ends or at least until they do a couple of hikes and they pause. But I also want to stress it doesn't mean the market has to fall apart. It just means that we could possibly be in a range to digest last year's gains. And also, there are still tremendous opportunities uh, in the market out there, especially in the energy commodity related, some of the big pharma names. So there are still opportunities, but uh, investors have to just be a little bit patient and wait for this rate hiking cycle to end before we see sustained upside. Well, Joe, you're being way too nice. The Fed is not just ending accommodation, okay? It's not just taking the candy out of the kid's mouth. It's taking the candy out of the kid's mouth, throwing it on the ground, stomping on it, and then tossing it into garbage. I mean, the, if they are going to do what they say they're going to do, the rate hiking cycle and the bond market, by the way, already reflecting that with the interest rates basically doubling, is going to be fast and it's going to be violent. So you say when they're done hiking rates, when do you think that's going to be? 
Well, that's a great question. It really just depends on how aggressive they want to be. If you want to use the 2018 analogy, they were raising rates all through 18 and continued into the fall of 18. And they didn't end that until the S&P corrected 20 percent. Uh, and that's when Powell pivoted in early January of 2019. So that's one example. The other example could be maybe it ends when they reach certain goals. Maybe they want to get to a certain Fed funds rate as long as it doesn't break the market. That's another possibility. And then the other the other thing I was thinking about is that midterm election years tend to bottom statistically around August, September. So yeah. this could go on for several months until the Fed reaches their objectives. But that's why. I'm really stressing to be patient yeah. and and defensive until this cycle is done. You think oil stocks, energy stocks, still a good bet here, Joe? Right now, to be honest, that's the main thing that's working. I don't think it matters whether oil's 90, 105, 120. These companies yep. are printing money, energy, commodity-related, fertilizer-related. The analysts have their models based on 50 or $60 oil, when these companies start to report earnings, uh, I think people are going to be shocked at how much profits these companies really have. Oh, co and Congress is going to be very happy about that, Joe. You know they're going to love higher profits from the oil companies. Sorry, little Thursday snark. I apologize. Joe Fami, thank you very much, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care. When we come back, are higher borrowing costs going to crush housing? You're going to hear from the CEO of one of America's biggest developers on just that. Plus, a bevy of big bank earnings set to hit the tape. We're going to preview the numbers that you really have to watch. And Starbucks reportedly ramping up its fight against unionization. We'll tell you what they're doing now. we got a lot more to do on this busy Thursday. And Wex is back right after this short break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's talk housing because 30-year mortgages back above 5% for many borrowers for the first time in years. All that as prices also hit record highs, making homes much more expensive. So what does one of America's biggest real estate developers think about this? Well, we found out. We sat down with Howard Hughes Corporation CEO David O'Reilly about just that. They're developing New York City's South Street Seaport and the new Douglas Ranch Complex in Arizona. And we began our conversation by asking about how worried they are about higher rates. As the largest owner of master plan communities across the country and the largest seller of land to home builders, 
we have some pretty good insight into what's going on. And the most recent spike in interest rates is having an impact on home sales. And nationally, we've seen a decline across the U.S. from 20 to 21 and even year to date here. But in certain markets, in those warmer, less expensive, business-friendly, quality-of-life markets like Phoenix, Houston, and Las Vegas, we've actually seen home sales continue to increase even into 2022, despite those higher rates. And I think that's largely driven by the affordability. I think it's driven by that desire for quality of life and what you can really get for your money mm-hmm. in a great market like Summerlin. Well, yeah, and you guys just bought your first uh, planned community, obviously Douglas Ranch in Arizona, west of Phoenix, uh, first one since going public. One of the biggest, it will be one of the biggest, and I think the biggest in, in America when it's completed So it sounds like you're saying, David, that maybe the builders who come in are going to be able to either slightly reduce the cost of their homes through size or materials in order to keep that affordability where it needs to be. Are they able to do that to to keep that monthly payment, which is all important, kind of around the same level? Critically important. And I believe that we're able to do that. And it's not just that that monthly payment as it relates to somebody who lives next door and is moving across the community, but If you think about what's gone on in this country over the past year, year and a half, those migratory patterns of folks moving from the coast, from the Northeast, from the Midwest, into these warmer, less expensive markets hasn't changed. And that's driving much of the home sale volume we see today. If you look at the median income it takes to afford the average price home in a market, in Houston at 68,000 or Phoenix 75,000, you compare that to San Francisco of 226,000. It's clear that it's already very affordable in terms of what it costs to buy a home in those markets compared to the other cities. Yeah. No. And so it sounds like not too worried about the affordability with the rates. Um, The other concern, I know you spoke with Diana Olick, our uh, real estate and climate reporter recently, is this is a big project in a dry area. David, are are you can you can you say to the, the people who buy and the developers, you're going to have enough water? Absolutely, because I'm telling my employees and I'm telling my employees' children that when they live there, they're going to have enough water. We wouldn't have made this investment if we didn't believe deeply that there was plenty of water, not just for next year or 10 years, but forever. And diversifying our water sources, making sure that we're building smart, eco-friendly is in our very DNA. And this company was started by Jim Rouse and his vision of building a self-sustaining city, the first master plan community in the country in Columbia, Maryland, is part of the fabric of what we do. And that's not going to change at Douglas Ranch. So you feel comfortable with that, whether it's an aquifer, whether it's capturing rain, or A, you know, B, all the above? Oh, all of the above. We're sitting right on top of the Hacienda River Basin. We have direct access to the Central Arizona Project. We are putting in our own gray water retention system that will self use reclamation water to backfill the groundwater as well as irrigate the common areas. We're putting in low flow fixtures and drip technology that will reduce the amount of water that we need at, at Douglas Ranch meaningfully. We partnered with Ramball, who's a market leader, a global leader in smart engineering solutions. And together we've identified over 220,000 acre feet per year of water savings opportunities an amount that is meaningfully more than what we'll need at Douglas Ranch at full build-up. Well, that's some comforting news there. It has been a scary time with, with droughts. Speaking of water, the seaport in New York City, obviously you took it over, changed it, redeveloped it. 
You've got the tin building. You, you bought a minority stake in John George. He's going to have a restaurant in the tin building. Now you're talking about an apartment building right down there at 250 Water Street. How? I mean, New York suffered, as you know, in the last couple of years, David, for obvious reasons. Sounds like you're not hesitant about continuing to build out in New York City. Well, everywhere we build, whether it's New York City, whether it's Hawaii, as you see behind me, whether it's in the desert of Phoenix, it's all about resiliency. It's all about building sustainably. And when we rebuilt Pier 17 at the South Street Seaport, we raised it up above the floodplain. Underneath the pier, we built what is equivalent to a submarine hull to protect it from any potential storm. And as we develop 250 Water Street, we're going to be building it in a sustainable, resilient way such that it's able to withstand the climate change that's real that we're dealing with every day. When you look at the map and maybe think about future developments, I mean, it's clear, aside, aside from your bullishness on, on Manhattan, Americans are moving south and they're moving west. When you look at development, is that is that the future of the United States, David? I mean, is, is everything you guys do, maybe with the exception of like a New York City or maybe something else one off, going to be south and west? Yeah, I, again, we're very much committed to our communities being in those warmer, less expensive, business-friendly markets, which are predominantly south and west. We agree with that thesis. And as we've done our foundational research, we found that almost 50% of Americans are considering moving over the next two years. Wow. And many of those moves, I believe, will continue to be to those warmer, less expensive markets. Texas is the number one U-Haul city, U-Haul state in the country for a reason. It has a great quality of life. It has affordability, access to great health care and education, as we see here in our master plan community north of Houston, known as the Woodlands. Isn't that amazing? 50% of people in parts of the country may be looking to move. Hey, when it's 35 degrees and raining in late March, maybe you get it. All right, our thanks to Howard UCO David O'Reilly for that conversation. That stock ticker, by the way, is HHE. Oh, random and interesting, the chairman of Howard Hughes Corp is a guy named Bill Ackman. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and what may be more bad news in the grocery aisle. Plus, the White House sending more weapons to Ukraine. What we are doing to help that nation win the war, coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top headlines, including the latest on the capture of the suspect in that horrific New York City subway shooting. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that and more. Francis, good morning. 
Brian, good morning. Yes, the man suspected in the New York City subway shooting is due in court today. 62-year-old Frank James was taken into custody yesterday after he called the tip line on himself. NYPD sources tell NBC News he told police he was at a McDonald's in the East Village. James is facing federal charges for the rampage that wounded 10 people and injured 13 others. It has now been 50 brutal days since Russia began its war in Ukraine. After a plea from Volodymyr Zelensky, the White House announces an additional $800 million in military aid to Ukraine. The package will include 11 M117 helicopters, 18 artillery guns with 40,000 artillery rounds, anti-armor systems, 300 switchblade drones, and also unmanned coastal defense vessels. Samples of moon dust collected by Neil Armstrong sold for $500,000 at auction in New York. The dust was collected in 1969 during an Apollo 11 mission that landed the first humans on the moon. Initially, though, the samples were expected to sell for a little over a million dollars. But, Brian, they fetched far below that. Those are your headlines for this Thursday. We send it back to you. Wasn't that a uh, Van Morrison song? Well, it's a marvelous <laughs> night for some for, moon dust. Moon, Wait, yeah. I don't think that's right. Some dancing. A little bit of dancing instead of the dust. That's it. Right? Dancing, <laughs> Maybe a little bit not both. dusting. Moon dust Brent, with some dance. I tried. Oh, good. I tried. Well, we'll sail into the mystic. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. Your morning RBI on how much food costs may surge again. Plus, the legal fight Tesla is in the middle of taking a new turn. Those stories and more. Dow futures, they're flat and slightly higher. We're back right after this. Inflation Nation. Can stocks make you any more money as costs surge and the Fed races to catch up? We'll dig in. Big banks busting out their numbers. It's a huge day for earnings. We'll hit the numbers you need to know about. And your morning RBI. Random but increasing. Star chef David Burke is here live without he's dealing with food costs growing out of control. It is Thursday, April 14th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome and welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. It is exactly 5.30 a.m. on the nose. Good morning. All right, so let's jump in, check the markets and your money and how they look. Stock futures, well, not giving us a lot of indication about today's market day. We're seeing Dow futures slightly up, NASDAQ slightly up, and the S&P slightly down. A reminder, tomorrow is a stock market holiday, so no trading on Friday for Good Friday. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be a volatile day. Because Goldman Sachs notes there is more than a trillion dollars in stock and index options expiring today. So it could, not will, but could get wild later on as sort of sanguine as it looks right now. Well, for the first time in a long time, bonds are actually getting bought. A 10-year government note yield actually coming down a bit as buyers step in. And if you aren't paying attention to this, you should be. And that is the American dollar. The dollar index, which is the dollar against a basket of other major world currencies, is now higher for 10 straight days. That is the first time that has happened in six years. Could be an RBI. Now, a higher dollar sounds good, but it makes it more expensive for American companies to sell their goods around the world and almost acts like a tightening Federal Reserve in many cases. So watch the old American greenback. All right, outside of markets, here's what else is happening right now on this Thursday morning. Starbucks reportedly preparing to launch a new campaign against unionization. The Wall Street Journal reports that newly returned CEO Howard Schultz announced 
He is reviewing the company's benefits to develop an expanded employee benefit package. The journal adds that Schultz stressed that the new benefits would not legally be able to go to the stores voting to unionize, as federal law requires separately negotiated contracts for union-represented workers. Meantime, a federal judge has reduced the amount of damages awarded to a former Tesla employee who sued the company for racial discrimination. The judge, citing legal precedent, cut that award from $137 million to $15 million, calling the original damages excessive. And the Department of Justice reportedly investigating Bausch Health over its marketing of four drugs for different skin conditions. According to Stat News, the department is seeking information about activities in which the treatments may have been promoted for uses not approved by regulators. That stock's down just a touch. Well, it is a big day for big banks and their investors. You got Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, all ready to roll out their numbers. All these come after J.P. Morgan posted its numbers yesterday, beating on many levels, but also spooking some investors with CEO Jamie Dimon calling attention to the possibility of a major economic slowdown ahead. So what to watch today? Let's bring in Ken Leon, Director of Equity Research, CFRA. Ken, uh, welcome back. Listen, a lot going on, the markets, rates, war, write-downs from Europe, etc. What are the one or two key things that you are watching for the most today? It's really management's worry about runaway inflation and also geopolitical risk. And that really sets up the conversation related to the consumer for loans. Um, What CEOs think about raising money either for M&A or or investment. And then ultimately, if we're getting a shift back to a higher credit risk exposure, all three of these are being affected, as you said, Brian, because of the macro backdrop. Yeah, and you heard Jamie Dimon's comments. I mean, the numbers for J.P. Morgan Chase, and correct me if you disagree, Ken, the numbers themselves seemed okay. Not great, but okay. Some write-downs regarding to Russia, whatever. But, of course, Jamie Dimon kind of scaring everybody with his comments. But he's more vocal than the CEO's of these other companies. So do you expect the numbers to be relatively good, but maybe some CEOs coming out and kind of putting up a warning flare? We're just not firing on all cylinders as we did in 2021. Uh, Obviously, the most glaring is the capital markets, which are down, and no management is going to have confidence about what the calendar is going to look like for deals, even for the second quarter. Uh, but the consumer is the one because we're kind of like instead of batting four for four, we're two for four uh, with the strength coming in credit card spending and also personal loans. But the mortgage market and loan activity is down significantly. And so, as you know, Brian, autos, auto loans are down because there just aren't any cars out there. So we're getting nicked here and there. And what that means is it's going to be hard to really have a strong print for performance for 2022. Is investment banking going to be strong? Is trading going to be strong? I mean, how does this market stock market reversal in the first three months of the year and higher rates can impact the numbers going forward? Going forward, uh, market volatility is going to benefit trading uh, in fixed income currency and commodities. Um, Those areas will do very well. Equity trading 
Uh, so long as we don't go into a bear market, we'll also have strong trading volume. But again, equity underwriting, IPOs, and M&A, those are the really important fee-based areas that are likely to be not as strong as last year. Uh, putting that to the side, then we get the bull case scenario, which is a rising rate, a steepening yield curve. Um, I think it's important for managements as they'll calibrate well. If we go up 50 or 100 basis points in rates, it means X billions of dollars that they get in net interest income later this year. That's going to be the best thing we hear today. You know, and it's sort of the common wisdom, which, by the way, I'm always nervous about when everybody says, well, as rates go up, bank stocks go up. We're finding now, Ken, that even as rates go up, it doesn't mean that big banks and their net interest margins are necessarily going to soar. Why aren't higher rates making the banks boom right now? Yeah, and, and J.P. Morgan on net interest spreads were puny. Um, and, and I think the real concern is, yeah, we get seven or eight rate increases from the Fed with a couple coming up early at 50 basis points. That's going to help. But when you look at the overall picture, and it gets back to my point about the consumer, when we move from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening of the Fed's balance sheet, does that stall or hurt the economy yeah. well before you can make money on rising rates for the banks? To me, that is the premier story for 2022. Yeah, Citigroup was an $80 stock on June 1st of last year. It's a $50 stock now, even as rates go up. Ken, we know you got a busy day ahead, a lot of bank earnings. Thanks for taking some time for us here on CNBC. Ken, have a great day. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. All right, on deck, your morning RBI on why food may get even more expensive. And speaking of food, celebrity chef David Burke is here. Now, he's not only running restaurants, but opening new ones, even in this crazy environment. David Burke, next. It's time now for your morning RBI, the most random but interesting thing of the day, CNBC style. And today, we're going to tell you something that you already know. How about that? It's about food prices. By the way, they're higher. You feel it every time you go to the store or out to eat. But did you know exactly how pricey things are getting? You may not, but we do because almost everything you buy also has a commodity future tied to it. And those are prices that we here at CNBC could easily look up. But the numbers are not easy to look at. To look at and look at this food inflation and the futures contract price increases. The price of wheat this year, these are all year-to-date moves. The price of wheat up 45%. Ukraine, of course, a major global exporter, so that number could even go up. Lean hogs, aka bacon, up 44%. Feed costs are on the rise, so any animal is going to cost more to raise. Corn, it's up 30% this year. It's already high. Fertilizer costs are on the rise, and now the White House wants to reverse the ban on heavier corn-infused gasoline, which, of course, could lead to higher corn costs as they make more to demand grows to go into gasoline. Orange juice up 30%. Soybeans up 25%. Also live cattle, a.k.a. beef, by the way, down 2%. That is the only major contract, by the way, lower this year, although you should note that that's the futures price. Actual beef costs 
keep going up. We'll talk about that in just one second with David Burke. However, however high food costs are now, the point is this. They may go even higher because farmers are paying astronomical rates for fertilizers, maybe three, four, or even five times what they paid in recent years. So they're going to have to pass more of those costs onto you in order to survive. And speaking of fertilizers, by the way, maybe we need to toot our own fertilizer horn here just a bit because here on WEX, we were one of, if not the first ones to start really talking about fertilizer prices. In a former life, I actually traded them as a chemical commodities trader before getting to this gig. Well, we talked about how fertilizer costs on September 17th, like CF and Mosaic, may benefit from what is going on with natural gas prices. Well, since that talk and tweet, shares of both have doubled. CF Industries up 122%, Mosaic up 127%. Now, we can't own stocks here in CNBC, but you can. And hopefully, maybe you bought some of those back then, not on our word, but maybe you're just smart enough to do it, because if you did, it might help pay for some of these higher food costs. Random, but expensive. All right, well, let's talk about this with somebody who knows more about it than all of us combined and how it's impacting consumers and the restaurant business business and bring in David Burke. He is the owner of 18 restaurants in New York, New Jersey, North Carolina, and now Saudi Arabia as well. One of the world's best known chefs and the, uh, the founder of the newly opened The Goat in Union Beach, New Jersey. Chef David Burke, we love the fact that you're opening up and investing in New Jersey. Thank you very much. You're probably listening to me talk about beef contracts down 2%, and you want to punch me through the television, because I guarantee you there's no way your beef costs are down. No, good morning. Now our costs are not down, not a base. I thought that was a mistake, but that's live cattle. You know, in order to get that, that young cattle up to the right size with the feed and uh, and shipping with the with the with the uh, with the gas prices and butchering with the labor prices have gone up all of a sudden you're paying a lot more from for the final product yeah you don't want to be serving live cattle i mean i've heard of rare but that would be extreme um yeah. how how bad are your costs david right now well, you know, it's, it's, everything is related. So our prices, uh, our seafood prices are ridiculous on most things. You know, it, it, we're starting to come into warmer weather now. But you know, don't forget, the fishermen need to fuel a boat. And they, and they go out and boats burn a lot of fuel. So they're going to pass that cost on. But lobster prices, scallop prices, crab meat prices were through the roof. They came down a little bit because the chefs started taking those items off the menu. So then now there's a surplus. So, you know, you know, think, you know, we have to pivot all the time. Something's outrageous. We have to take it off the menu, change the menu and, and work. Uh, now, changing the menu, not one menu, but printing menus every day. Paper goods are through the roof, too. Gloves that we wear in the kitchen are through the roof. So there's a lot of deep fryer oil, the oil that goes into the deep fryers, which we don't really look at. We always look at the protein prices. Uh, that all of those little, uh, all of those ancillary things are through the roof with, with pricing. Eggs, for example, like I said, eggs go in all types of things. Wheat, our bread, which used to cost about fifty to sixty to seventy, eighty cents a roll, is now two dollars a roll. So uh, you know, prices are tight. Prices are high. And labor costs also going up. Listen, you're one of the most well-known chefs in the world, so I imagine people want to work for you. But local restaurants, everybody around where I live in New Jersey, they struggle to find it. Is the labor market getting 
any better? Do you see things easing up a the little bit or market, no? The, the, thank you, by the way, for the compliment. The labor market has gotten easier than the, the, the height of the pandemic, yet people don't want to drive that far to work because of gas. So I've got people that live an hour away that are now telling me they can't afford to drive. Uh, they need they need a bonus or a supplement or race to be able to afford to drive back and forth when they live on one side of the state to the other, whether it's 40 miles, 30 miles, you know, whatever it is per day. Uh, and, and the labor is not the same. A lot of people were disenchanted with the restaurant business during the pandemic and, and, and switched careers. So there's less people available. Some of the people were getting we're very fortunate to be staffed well and, and able to open new restaurants with the right labor. But now our training team has to work harder. So we're training people, uh, paying people more with less that have less training and having to spend more money on our trainers to get them up to speed. I don't know, Chef, listen, if you have a crystal ball, you've you've lived through a lot. I've I've lived through it with you from New York City restaurants and economic cycles, financial crises, et cetera. Do you have a point of view on where things are going to be in a year? Well, we have hope. We always hope. And we've been but we've been doing it for a long time. You know, we're also we have bills that are backed up from uh, COVID. You know, again, we were closed down. We still have bills from the close down period. We got some financial help from the government. That was much appreciated. Some of that has very, very low interest paybacks. But there's also bills that didn't go away that we've, you know, we, we got furloughed or, or they were set back a few months and that we still have to catch up on. Now. So now with this type of setback or struggle for the bottom line, we have, uh, you know, it just delays the profitability. It cuts down the profitability. And again, takes the wind out of your sails. We're hopeful. We're doing well. Like you said, we're well known. We attract good people. We 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 think we run a really good ship. Uh, but tight is tight, and 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 uh, <laughs> you know you're going to yeah. have to pass it on. You'll see higher prices this summer in in most restaurants. We tr- we try to be as fair as possible, but you'll see it when when a consumer sees when it. When the price, the- I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying when the price of a roll chef goes from 60 or 70 cents to two bucks, you right. caught our attention, but we're still coming out. We're going to see you at Red yeah, Horse. So don't get upset if somebody charges you for bread. <laughs> so, you know, people are going to charge not, I'll just, bread. I'll, well, don't get upset yeah. if I skip the bread, David Perk. Well, yeah, well, we'll <laughs> Let's we'll see you at 1776 in Morristown. Yes, yeah, thank you, David Burke. Really right. appreciate it. Orchard Park in in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and maybe a couple restaurants in Saudi Arabia now. David Burke, one of the great ones and a great guy for getting up early for us because he probably just went to bed knowing the restaurant business are right on deck. Earnings season set to shift into overdrive. The wave of corporate numbers set to roll out. Credit Suisse's Patrick Palfrey is here with what it may mean for the market and your money. Futures, they're mixed to slightly higher. By the way, if you haven't already, a gentle nudge. Follow our podcast. It's available on all the major platforms. If you're sleeping right now, you can li- and we wish we were, you can listen in later. We're back after this. All right, welcome back and happy Thursday and welcome to earnings season, by the way. It's, it happens four times a year, kind of like the other seasons. And today rolls on with results from big banks like Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo. The action really picking up, though, after this long holiday weekend. Remember, the markets are closed tomorrow for Good Friday, with 60 members of the S&P and seven Dow components reporting. 
including a lot of those companies, Bank of America, IBM, J&J, United Airlines, Netflix, Tesla, and I'm not going to read the rest because that's all the time we'd have in the show. S&B earnings are expected to grow about 4.5% year over year in the first quarter. But when you factor in upside surprises, like the earnings could grow 10% for the fifth straight quarter. But does that mean stocks are going to go up? Patrick Palfrey is co-head of quantitative research and senior equity strategist at Credit Suisse and joins us now. Patrick, uh, earnings are great, but they're backward looking. Guidance is better. What are you and your team expecting from earnings and from the stock market? The focus this earnings season is what is going on in March. And you referenced that 4.5% EPS growth. Uh, but what we're also seeing is 11% revenue growth. And that's tremendous. And it's, it's benefiting from inflation. And I think that's a, a dynamic that investors continue to underappreciate, how inflation flows through to the top line. But what we're seeing as a result of that is a little bit of pessimism coming through and uh, potentially concerns around margins. It's not to say they're unfounded. I just think they may be overblown um, given some of the dynamics we're seeing. And in particular, if you strip out financials, which are benefiting, uh, sorry, which are getting penalized from last year's reserve releases because the credit concerns around COVID weren't as bad as feared, uh, the actual margin profile for that market looks positive and a lot healthier than you get on that headline number. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but margin is really one of the key focuses this earnings season. Are there any groups of equities, Patrick, single stocks, groups, sectors, whatever, that you think are going to be be able to better weather this inflationary storm? So we are recommending investors continue to look at uh, groups closer to the commodity. Uh, right now, inflation is a, is a big positive. And I think commodities and real assets are uh, moving up as a result. Sectors like energy, materials, industrials, um, you know, portions of consumer discretionary that need to be select there are, are actually benefiting from commodity increases because they have pricing power and they can pass that through. And you, you asked earlier, you know, where do we think stocks go on the back of this? I mean, that's really the key is if margins hold in, companies demonstrate the pricing power that we expect them to see. Ultimately, the, the earnings have held up quite well this year, uh, much better than the stock market has. The, the, the decline in the stock market has come because of P.E. compression. So we need to see affirmation of that this earnings season and its pricing power and in its margins. And think closer to the commodity is going to insulate you from some of the pressures. Are commodity-based companies then, energy, oil, fertilizer, whatever you name it, anything based on commodities, something we just talked about, Patrick, are they looking better than other groups. The market seems to be saying so in its price action, but what do you think? Yeah, we, we do think they look better than a lot of groups. And really what it comes down to the fact is they're still experiencing tremendous earnings. Cyclicals as a group is expected to grow um, somewhere around 40% this quarter. Now that includes energy, so you're getting a little bit of bounce there, but industrials, uh, materials continue to look very strong. And it's the fact that we are in a very robust economic backdrop. GDP this year on a nominal basis, so that includes inflation, is expected to be around 9%. That is uh, tremendous. And those companies more economically oriented are going to benefit from that. So some of the groups, which we just mentioned earlier, are well positioned to take advantage of the underlying strength in the economy. Patrick Palfrey of Credit Suisse, looking forward to a big earnings season. Happens four times a year. Patrick, thanks for getting up early for us. We do appreciate it. Take care. Well, folks, as always, we appreciate you getting up early for us or listening in on the podcast or watching the show on record. Either way, we thank you. Hope you have a wonderful Easter and Passover. The markets are closed on Friday. Have a great three-day weekend. 
We'll see you on Monday morning. Take care. Squawk of the gang. Picking it all up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.